0: Hey everybody, I'm Ken Coop Van Trouten and that's Chris Rabel.
1: What's happening?
0: We are uh, up to episode 26.
1: Holy shit. I feel shit. like we've crossed over into the other side. No. This
0: is, this is uh, day 133 of quarantine for me. God. That's and, crazy, man. And, by the way, there's only 194 days left in this year. So that means half two. of this year I've been in quarantine, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, yeah. Going a little stir-crazy, got to tell you. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, we'll
1: survive it. We'll, we'll, make, it. It. we'll, we'll make, make it. We'll make it. <clears throat> if, uh, if it makes you feel any better, I was in the car yesterday, and I leave my, I leave my Apple music just kind of on random. And it, it, it pulls in, you know, if I like down, if I take a bounce from a, a show, yep. throw it on my computer, like it'll show up. Sure. And, um, yeah, yeah. I listened to t- a two song medley rehearsal. I listened to Alicia Keys, no one into Empire State of Mind. I'm nice. not kidding. You. 12 times in a row in my car yesterday. And of course, the whole time I'm like, "This sounds like shit. I should have done this. I should have done that." But just the feel of it, you know what I'm saying? Totally. Uh, I just I listened to a rehearsal when I, she wasn't even there. It was just the band. It was the band and right. some tracks, you know, but whatever. Yeah, I mean,
0: good. yeah, it feels good, and you need to do that in order to remind yourself, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Um, we uh as a team have some things coming up guys that you're going to be excited about um, that we've been working on and so both Chris and I have had um some time to be in front of a console recently and and that um kind of rejuvenated my you know made me happy to be in front of a console and and hear some stuff and yes yeah, that felt good so that felt good anyway stay tuned guys there's gonna be a lot of good stuff coming from us Um, and uh, so we will continue um, doing these on a weekly thing you know we skipped last week because we were doing that Um, but Mm -hmm. we're gonna keep trying to do this every week for you guys so um, um, anyway there it is what do you want to talk about today
1: let's do bass guitar let's bass. talk about bass guitar. <clears throat> that's about as hard as it gets in live sound you know <laughs> it for is me.
0: isn't it it is it yeah. is
1: as an engineer for sure
0: I'm a bass player so um uh
1: I identify Which with I never knew I always thought you were a guitar like a, sh- a shredder that's funny this, um this whole I mean time. I,
0: I was you know I mean I I played guitar first uh, but then when I went to Berkeley, I studied bass guitar. Bass guitar was my um, my instrument. Um, you have to, I'd
1: written this whole story in my head that you were this shredder. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> me uh, up, man.
0: You know what it was is I um, started working with a, a really famous jazz upright bass player named Marshall Hawkins um, mm-hmm. in high school. Uh, I started taking private lessons with him, and um, I just kind of fell in love with um the bass guitar and how it kind of holds the band together you know yeah um the meat of it um well i mean tell me a little bit about what terrifies you about
1: bass guitar yeah exactly <laughs> 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 that's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> what you up the most uh, uh, uh you know man it's the thing it's it's god i have a, a million answers come to mind right away you know, can you, of course it's fun. It can be really fun if you have a bass player that does have like high end content. It can be annoying if it's just like bad clack and buzz. But if there's something going on up there, that's the thing in live sound. We oftentimes rely so much on the detail up top to kind of trick the brain into either finding what's under it sonically in a wall of mush in an arena you know it's almost like a or it or maybe that's all you get of the input really and i'm talking about on a really really rough day and then you get in the bass guitar though where predominantly it's just down there in the muck and it's that muck that we're typically is driving us the most insane you know what i mean
0: totally i mean what i find um, the hardest about a bass guitar is its center frequencies are all the hard frequencies within a mix, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about before in these, in these uh, videos about how that 100 hertz to 250 range is the hardest part to get right in your mix. If you get that right, the rest of it kind of all falls in there. Um, and that is where the bass guitar lives, you know what i mean that 's where its focus is um and plus those are usually the resonant frequencies of whatever acoustic space uh that you 're in um so that makes it fun <laughs> yeah, you might have the the this is to me this is um the where the rule gets broken about making a record quality mix with impact, like I've said before. This, specifically when you talk about bass guitar, you could be outputting out of your mix bus the greatest sounding bass guitar and have the room just be, you know.
1: It, will, take, it can't do it
0: just can't handle it. It just sit, sits there, um, you know, reverberating and it just gets bigger and bigger and you don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So I often find if there's any one instrument in my mix where I adjust it, um, a little bit more towards whatever the acoustic space is, if that makes sense. It um, totally does.
1: Definitely bass guitar. Um, and I think that's important for everybody to hear us say, and particularly you, with because I love your record quality thing with Impact, but it's like we tout the fact that, no, this is a mix, this is a mix, this is a right. mix, this is a mix from my iPod to the show, comma, <laughs> except when you have to, except when you have to do what you just explained you know what i mean no yeah, that's like, right yeah we're wrong like we're, we're we're real like it's we have the same struggles and that thing's absolutely you know it's funny if you ask a the most novice of novice engineers you give them a a, a third band octave eq uh and you're like, okay, here, listen to this mix or listen to this PA in a big room. The first thing they're gonna start doing, well, not for sure, but probably is gonna be co- going what you said, 100 to 250. And you will make it cleaner by oh, yeah. losing all that. That's right. But yeah, you know, when you started to speak earlier, I thought maybe you're gonna say something where this is the area uh, that takes the most level of acceptance, too. Oh, that's, that's good too. Yeah. You know what I, you know what I mean? Like in particularly as it, cause like you're going to, you are inclined to want to clean up your system to where all that stuff doesn't poke out. But then once you put a bass guitar through there and those notes, you don't hear the notes and there's no music. You're just left with like thrust and mush. Then you're like, I do need to put that stuff back in. You know, I,
0: I find myself creating more space for a bass guitar than any other single instrument. In other words, and speak you
1: know, to that, like I, I'm really curious how you'd, cause I, I anyway, yeah, I'm curious about what you do. So when I talk about that, remember I've always
0: talked about where, um, you know, no two instruments can share the same EQ space within my mix. Right. So mm-hmm. I think a common mistake with bass guitar is trying to make um, the kick drum and the bass guitar share the same space and have prominence at the same frequency. So everyone takes a kick drum and makes 60 Hertz be big. And then the common mistake I see all the time is then taking bass guitar and make it be big at 60 Hertz as well. And that just doesn't work. So Mm. I, definitely make space for the kick drum. Um, and with at usually, you know, I center usually, I mean, this is like, you know, broad terms, but usually I, I center a kick drum right around 60 Hertz. I cut like 400 of a kick drum to get the boxiness out of it and then give it some click, you know, some 2K mm-hmm. and even 5K, depending on whatever the kick drum is, right? Mm-hmm. But I also... Um, tend to make space around that 60 hertz maybe some stuff below it um i'm actually cutting a little bit i've actually boosted some 60 on a kick drum and then below it and in the low mid centered that at 60 and then below it in the lows cut it cut some at like 40 (laughs) in order Mm -hmm. to give space for the bass guitar to share that space now for me it's a it is, it's about the tonality of the bass, right? You know, you have to listen to the bass by itself and say, oh, this bass guitar really sings at 100 hertz and below. Mm-hmm. So then I look at that and be like, okay, now I'm going to have to create some space for that, that um, bass guitar in 100 hertz and below because that's really where the meat of this bass guitar is. But there are bass guitars where it's actually higher, right? Like the meat of it, for instance, with with Iron Maiden, the meat of his tone is more like 200, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I find with Iron Maiden that I use other instruments to take up that space from 30 hertz to 200 are other instruments, not bass guitar. So Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of finding where the focus is. But I always am thinking about, the, the kick drum and the bass guitar have to work together in order for the emotion of the band to happen. But they can't share the same EQ space and be prominent in that space at the same time. So I, I definitely take um, you know, high-pass filtering on a bass guitar. A lot of people don't do that. I high-pass. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll take a bass guitar and high-pass it up to where the center of the high-pass is at 100 that means mm-hmm. there's still 80, 70, it's still 60. It's still there. Oh. But I am high passing all that stuff. You know, the most common mistake is I see guys with the DI of the bass just leave it alone and don't put a high pass filter in it. Well, that means mm. that those lower frequencies coming down that DI line are now competing with some of what's happening with your kick drum. Does yeah. that make sense? So, oh, totally. I do make EQ space for. Um, for a bass guitar to work along with a kick drum. Um, and it is something that I work on a lot Mm -hmm. in a near field situation before I'm even talking about acoustic space, fucking me over. It's Mm -hmm. something that has, you have to get right in near fields or in headphones first. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, what, what do you, what's your philosophy? How do you do it? Yeah. Well, on that last comment, a, a mil uh, do I agree a million percent because this is part of the <clears throat> if you know your mix you know your mix and then when you go somewhere and you are in that really challenging room you know what levels of that really tough stuff We'll, we'll let's say from 20 to 250 yeah you know yeah. what I mean like from the bare, very bottom up top you know what you're looking for <clears throat> excuse me um you know it's so I mean if, I basically I have the same feeling and I think most people do where, you know, competing frequency ranges, simply because you only have so much room, you're, you're better served to carve out holes. And, but also at a certain point, if you've got two things that are, you know, to your point, jamming, it's 60 hertz, you're just eating up a lot of, up a lot of headroom with that. So I don't have a, I kind of just go in and see what it gives, like what they give me. You know, and if the bass guitar needs to, like, it's cool to hear you say, I'll center the kick at 60. Well, you said two things. You said one, Hey, if I need to, I'm going higher for the bass. But you also said like a lot of people after they've done that 60, that's the low end. And you made note of the fact that no, there's that bottom octave down there.
0: And Um, especially a five string bass that has those low B, low B shit, you know, and, and maybe, um, you know, like Beharve with Justin Beaver, he had a couple of notes that were way down in there that I knew I had high passed up, and then I was like, "Wait a minute, I can't really hear that note," and I had to back out of it a little bit.
1: Yep, yep. Um, as much as I love, I like a when I say mid rangey, I don't mean it sounds like a jaw harp, but you know, I like a, right. you know, I like Motown, you like definition. You, know, you like Except, definition, yeah, string I, noise, I, right? I, yeah, I, and I, I think most mixers do. Because if it can be coupled with low end, it's great because then you just hear notes and you're not, you don't just have this ball of mud. So as much as I love that, and I'll talk about that in a second about kind of how I find that, um, the longer I go, the more I like the bottom, 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 if it can be to be like this bed of bass. It just feels, it just doesn't feel as mechanical as if the kick is all the power you know? So I just, I kind of let it find where it's going to go. And I usually at most for me, it's kind of like, I just, the kicks doing what it's doing. And then the base I'm either cutting, I'm usually cutting in the base to get it away from the kick. And then if I do want to do that bottom stuff, that's also via EQ. Right. Um, the way that I do that. And then, um, so yeah, it's just a matter of of making them work together and seeing i don't know i don't do we've talked about it before I don't do a lot of side chaining i don't yeah, do I don't do,
0: I don't do that stuff either, you know, but I know that works for some people um <laughs> I tend to find that is something that I would do if um you know and no offense to players out there, but if they're kind of not locking together playing wise then I would look at something to try to help that audio-wise. But if I've got good players, I don't really pay attention to that, which brings up the point of tone. Mm -hmm. I think that a bass player that spends as much time honing his craft of making sure that every note on their fretboard is heard just sitting in front of an amp, I think that is a skill just like a drummer who knows how to tune his kit well um you know and so when i run into bass players where before i do anything and start cutting any of that stuff he's playing and i'm not hearing certain notes happen yeah. then i know i'm in trouble and i need to you know and,
1: <clears throat> yeah no places are going to be more apparent than in on a bass guitar too oh man yeah, yeah. i mean where there's holes or worse where there's that doop doop yeah doop let alone before you throw that, th- th- that thing in a, yeah. you know, in a big room?
0: Yeah, so it's something that I focus on, guys, is I, girls also, guys and girls. Um, yes, welcome everyone. <laughs> welcome everyone. <laughs> um, I, I focus on notes of a, maybe it's because I'm a bass player, but I focus on notes of a bass guitar, and if they are not, if they, you know, I spend a bunch of time compressing a bass guitar, right, to get it to lie in everywhere. But then you'll start to notice that there might be some holes of specific notes. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I've gone as far as taking, um, you know, like an F6 and doing some uh, expansion on specific Mm -hmm. frequencies of that bass guitar because every time he gets to that one note, it's not like all the other notes. Um, Yeah. So it's it's. I just want to point out that that is something that I listen to right away with the bass guitar is making sure that every note is being heard, regardless of the overall tone. Like just mm-hmm. being like, okay, his overall tone is kind of just okay, but can I hear every single note that's being played? Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely something to to look at. Um, if you're not a bass I'll- player, maybe you wouldn't be inclined to look
1: at that right but that's like what you're talking about is listening to the <clears throat> the fluidness of the bass and the notes like that is that is such a thing that will if you don't if you're if you're not mindful of it, you don't pay attention to it that will leave you going what's wrong what's weird That's right that's right. you know and not just you um looking around the room it just because the, the groove is just like a ship that's rocking or something it doesn't have that stuff i'll do something uh every now and again where and actually it can be pretty often cuz a lot of times yeah a lot of times players they're just not they're not aware that either their guitar's set up weird or that their playing is not smooth and particularly on the low stuff particularly when you get into that five string area where that low, that low string just gets hammered on and every note's like 10 dB louder you know right. um so there's that which is a problem but i'll put a um and, you know, I should do it with more of the F6. I just kind of default to the C6. I'll put, I'll end up with this big, huge, humongous, gigantic bass sound. But if you'd look at it, I've got low end getting stomped on all the time, yep. you know. And I may not be making it back up yep. by just getting it down but making the whole thing chunkier, right? Yeah, you're doing um,
0: this, right? To get the frequencies in line. You know, because the low end is this big giant monster, you're like, <clears throat> okay, let's make this squash that fucker. Let's expand yep. some of this and get it to where it's more linear for sure. It,
1: exactly. And then I'll feed and then that feeds a compressor. And then that's, you know what I mean? So the the multiband's just the fixer. And then that feeds the compressor, stomp on it there, and then do any more EQ, you know, on top of that. I'll usually do like. Channel eq is usually subtractive, and then it'll go uh, and then that's you, that that is a chain that could happen pretty regularly would be a dynamic eq multiband thing comp then an eq and that q eq is usually more for color um, We talk about busing i don't know about you, but um my base chain I like it to be as simple as it can be, but I set it up as three like i usually have three chain i just copy the base. DI three times and of course I'll throw the mic in there if I have one too I'll copy it three times and I'll do three different things with those and they end up just being options and then they go to a bus and on the bus is where I'll put in this is where I'll do the like okay where's the note just don't even look 312 hertz what all right sure we're boosting that a few dB on the song to make the notes pop you know what I mean
0: I end up um, using on my bus I do similar stuff Um, I, um, I, my thought process is a little bit, it's the same, but different in that I don't usually copy the channel, but I, um, uh, are all of that stuff, uh, which is unusual for me for other instruments for bass guitar in particular is usually really, uh, snapshotted scoped. So that it mm-hmm. does change. It's as if there were three channels like what you're doing and you're deciding mm-hmm. which ones work for whatever song. I'm just kind of doing it snapshot-wise. Same, same kind of thing. But doing some pretty drastic channel changes from song to song to make the thing lie in there. Uh, very similar to what you're doing, F6 and then a compressor. And then on my bus, I use stuff like Vitamin. Vitamin. Mm-hmm. Um, to to do what you're talking about as a shaping the last step shaping um before it, it gets combined with all the other stuff
1: uh um, yeah i just got into vitamin i mean i know it's been around i've met i'd messed with it on tour before but now that we have obviously time yeah uh I've kind of played with it, um, and I, I It's I did. cool.
0: You can really, you can really fuck yourself.
1: Uh, it's a fast path to destruction. I think that is. very <laughs> easily, with lots of little roads leading out of it. You know, and <laughs> it is honestly one of
0: those kind of hypey plugins. Like I, when I first got it, I was like, "This would be rad on my mix bus," you know. So I put uh, it on the mix bus, and like after three days of it, I was like, uh, "It's cool." That's not as cool as I thought it was, you know, just because it does some drastic things. If you really dig into it, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a plugin that does, you know, frequency divided uh, space and spectrum along with some compression and expansion. It's kind of like a C6, but then each of the bands you can then decide how wide in your mix you want it to be or how narrow you want it to be. And you can, you know, just a few changes and, and all of a sudden you're like, what have I done? I've created a monster. Totally. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, but I do use it on bass guitar. I use it on um, Steve Harris's bass guitar on um, on um, uh, Iron Maiden um, and uh, it works very well to kind of keep all of the definition part of the bass. You know, we, we haven't really talked about that, you know. The definition part of the bass is sometimes really difficult too because guess what? That's sharing the space of snare drum and guitars and vocals. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, we uh,
1: haven't moved up the line yet to what's above <laughs> that kick drum. I know. That's right.
0: Know. Um, so making definition of that stuff uh, is difficult. And certainly, you know, with Iron Maiden, um, if you heard an Iron Maiden record, it's all about having the definition of that bass guitar work with the guitar tones and be prominent. It's, you know, his bass tone is, is super upfront, uh, in the, in the mixes of the record. So, um, you know, achieving that in the live setting is, is a, a hard thing to do. Um, what, do you, what do you do to, keep, to kind of make all that work with all of those other instruments?
1: Yep. Well, one thing, uh, just to finish the thought we were talking about with regards to bussing, it actually leads right into this, which is really cool, is I talk about, you know, you and I both are not shy about how much we use harmonic distortion in, in different places and in different ways. And then, and then I always say, and then I have a little extra bit on mine on the stereo bus. Uh, but I've also... We'll say that from time to time, I'll turn off the overall mix bus saturation if I just need more clarity or, you know, where it's a little too harmonically dense and exciting for a room or a, or a mix or whatever. But um, where I'm going with this is I love what harmonic uh, excitement does to a bass guitar because Me it too. makes it right because it make it takes all that 80 and then makes it do 160, 320, or whatever the intervals are. It makes all that high stuff kind of pop up there. So in the event that I pop my saturation out of the stereo bus, I'll, I have a copy of it of just the saturation on the base bus because no matter what, I want it there. Cool. So it's inactive on the base bus at most times, active on the stereo bus, turn off from stereo, redo it because I really want to have it. So that's to get to get that definition in the bass, you know, it can be really shitty because you might find, Oh, this bass sounds wonderful. Somewhere weird. Like you said with Steve, his tones more like 200. You might be like, Oh wow. I'm inclined to push this, but that's the meat of, that's the meat of your guitar. Right. You know, which is a bummer. So I'll do this. I don't usually let my guitar, like I'm a, I high pass my guitars quite a bit. I do too. Um, I
0: barely let them have chunk just, yeah. just into the chunk. you know?
1: Right. Yeah, and I've never like, I've never mixed a band. I mean, I have like on a one off, I've never toured with a band that had this drop tuning, you know, do I get 40 Hertz out of my guitar? Like I've never yeah, right. done that. <laughs> you know, I've never been asked to do that. I welcome yeah. the challenge. I've never been asked to do it. So like my shit is, it's starting like, at least it's going to start at 120, yeah. you know? Um, and I'll go up there. Anyway, because I'm with you. So it's like it's kind of like the next thing in line are those guitars. So I'm thinking – there was a long time where that thing was always – and you know why? It's because I read an article about a Jeff Beck record where they high-passed everything on of his at 200 and low-passed it at 8K. Yeah. And for years, I rolled with that 200 as like my kind of place. And it served me really well, you sure. know? Sure, sure. So I don't know. For me, it's cleaning that out and then depending on how many guitar- – like if it's a – we did one of these – early on 17 years ago when we started on mixing three guitars day, <laughs> day 110 God, yeah right. anyway so uh if i know i've got three guitars and of course i have a bass for example i'll take that guitar bus and i will uh eq it to maybe clean out some low mid knowing that i need it from for the bass again just shifting your logic up to what's above so that's it i'm cleaning out i'm listening to what's going on in keyboards i'm listening to the tracks Uh, just trying to salvage what happens in that low mid. So I'll get it from the bass through harmonic excitement if I need it. I also, like I said, I'm a proponent of going and finding those notes. I know it might seem like a stupid EQ point to boost at, but man, look look from 200 to 800. Like you'll find something that'll, without having to turn the whole thing up, will make it pop. So I think I just said five different things that I do, but that's the bag of tricks, you know?
0: (laughs) No, that is. And, you know, it's funny. We do the same thing. Um, You know, uh, that's the thing with bass guitar and the upper range part of it um, is, don't look at my AQs on my console, man, because some of it looks like, what is happening? Like, (laughs) really? Seriously, you centered at 630 and boosted 10 dB of it? And it's like, yeah, I did, because Mm -hmm. that's what makes it, glue together with all the other shit. Um, and 100%, I, I'm, I was really happy to hear you talk about um, harmonic distortion because that is my super secret bag of tricks when it comes to bass guitar. If you want it to have definition in the, all those same frequency ranges of all those things that are trying to share the same frequency space, put mm-hmm. a little bit of harmonic distortion on a bass guitar. Like I use Sapphire, which is this awesome uh, plugin that, that does harmonic distortion or even just, you know, one of the, um, you know, one of your analog, um, like you a know, model. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever. Uh, Mike pre kind of model that has harmonic distortion. If you leave it at the same volume and while it's competing with guitars and simply put some harmonic distortion on it, and turn a little bit of the harmonic distortion on it all of a sudden you're going to hear the top end of the of the bass punch through all of that other stuff um, yep. I mean that is you know i we we were talking earlier about a hard section of frequency range that's hard to get right the hundred to two fifty, but then there's also that you know uh eight hundred to 5k let's say yep. that everything in your mix has right Yep. so then finding space for all of that is you know is tough um and that's where uh, some of these bag of tricks like the harmonic distortion come into play um
1: yeah i gotta tell you real quick I'm, I'm grinning so big because you're making me think of a conversation i had with a friend of mine yesterday who is recording a world-class vocalist on what's going to be a mega smash record and we're talking about high end and he's talking about he's like you know man i just once it gets to 4k i'm like oh yeah once it gets to like and above (laughs) i don't know what the hell that is i mean my intuition will tell me which way to look higher or lower but once you get up there i don't know what's going on it's like every frequency range we mix we're like you know what really sucks yeah you know 800 (laughs) to 1.2 and it's you know there's all those it's just as you move up and then you get into the the extremes or the either way like i don't even know what's going on
0: <laughs> no it's funny because I mean we you know we always talk about like what 's the hardest part of the mix, but you know to me, those are the two hardest spots, right you know I can find space from that two fifty to eight hundred range like that's pretty easy for me like I can get guitars, I can get keyboards, I can get you know those are all the low end parts of those instruments. I can usually get all those to talk to each other and be cool, um, mm-hmm. but when you start putting vocal. Guitar, keyboard, playback, uh, top of the bass guitar, cymbals, uh, t- top of the snare drum, uh, mm-hmm. crack of the toms, um, you know, you, you start putting all of that into the same frequency ranges, you know, my philosophy of no, no instrument can share the same frequency space becomes harder and harder and harder and harder and the way that i get around it is some of the other things that we've talked about like spreading things out you know mm-hmm. um with panning and and that kind of stuff um because remember you know i'm thinking not only about frequency but also depth and width um mm-hmm. those are those are the things at the forefront of my brain when i'm talking about you know making instruments fit um but yeah man that 800 to 5k is like ugh.
1: right there's a lot that's a crowded room it's a lot yeah now Um, some people are probably listening right now maybe they just have like whatever their one main band they mix um or it's themselves then you find those other bass players that it's like all it is is low end it's like you know and they'll be like well i want it to be warm and it's like man i want it to be warm too but like or
0: or the my favorite one is that all low end and then this weird clackety -clackety, clack at the top Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which is the most unmusical thing that can ever come your way. Like it serves, it it sounds like a, it just sounds like something's broken when that's the deal, you know? But when guys come in and like all their tone is, is from like, I don't know, maybe they have sub in it, but maybe not. And then it just like goes to 250 or 300 and that's it. And that's like, that's a cool sound if you're listening to like an Adele record. Right. And it's like a really rolled off roads in this really, wobbly bass and it's supposed to create this dark picture but for for live sound that's that's tough that's tough, tough it when it comes tough. in like that
0: you know my focus of the bass guitar is the pad it is the meat of my mix it has to be there it's kind of what's holding together all of that stuff that's above it um and and so that getting that uh, getting that right sometimes means sacrificing meat of kick drum for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, um, a lot of guys, you know, there's a lot, you go and you watch guys mix at festivals and it's like symphony for kick drum. It is in your chest, you know, uh, really upfront kick drum, which is okay Um, But I am kind of the other school. I make the bass guitar be more prominent than Mm -hmm. the low part of the kick drum, the moving the air part. I think if you stood in front of my subs, this is a blanket statement, but in general, if you stood in front of my subs, Mm -hmm. it's sitting there doing this, not this. Uh You know what I mean? That's
1: good. That's good.
0: And to me, that makes a, a more smoother low endy kind of a thing. So I spend a bunch of time getting that low, the really sub information of a bass guitar. I want it to be right and kind mm-hmm. of holding the whole thing together. I'm not using the kick drum to do that. Does that yep. make sense?
1: Yeah. What's, your, yeah. what's
0: your deal with that?
1: Right. Well, it's like, that's the first thing, you know, that's one of the most addictive parts of live sound is the kick drum. Right. Like the first time you pull up a kick drum on anything that has any sub, Like, that's a oh, my God, what have I just found moment. So it's hard not to do that. And to be quite honest with you, it's easy to do. Like, at a certain point, you don't even have a sound. You just have this experience, this onslaught coming at you, you know. Because it creates
0: impact, right? It creates impact. And that's what we're looking for as a live sound guy is to have that impact where it's, you know, making people be like, whoa, fuck, this is amazing. Right and that's an easy thing to do that with but to me it, is. it makes more sense to do it with the bass guitar but anyway sorry i didn't mean to interrupt
1: yeah no 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 yeah no i'm i'm with you i i understand why it happens and i go there too i'll end up some nights to be like because a great kick drum sounds so exciting but nights to be like oh fuck i'm doing it you know yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. doing it. and it's easier to do it um i uh I'll tell you something that I'll do sometimes that aside from I too like the bass to be the the low stuff. But one thing that I do a lot of times in kick drums, it doesn't make them sound as solid, but it helps is I'll I cut a lot on kicks at like one twenty five or one sixty. Yep. A lot of that poof, poof, poof. Because that coupled with the least bit of instability from the bass guitar gives you that woofy sort of sound. So like I know you and I are a big proponent in in uh plug-in land of using the SSL stuff and it's hard like on the e-channel you can't get to that you can't get below 200 right so I'm always doing something on the strip now with the g you can do something where you use the low band one way and the top whatever but I'm I'm, usually I'll have like something on the strip if I'm going to cut in there um, to just further define what that kick is and so it's not too big not only in the sub but just in its overall presence you know
0: yeah, I think any way that you look at this, we are both saying that it is vital to get the kick drum and the bass guitar right and mm-hmm. working together, not against each other. And that that is a skill, a mixing skill, that you're going to have to spend a bunch of time working on. And there's no real answer because of where different kick drums are centered and where different bass guitars are centered you have to figure out which is going to be the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or which is, you know, you kind of have to decide. It can't be both. You have to say, okay, I'm going to make the bass more prominent in this frequency and the kick drum in this. Um, And But when you get it right and they are both locked in with each other, um, assuming Mm -hmm. you have good players, um, there's nothing like it, man. That whole balance of that low end of your PA being – correct Mm. for lack of a better term um there's Mm. there's nothing better than that for sure
1: and and i think that's probably why both of us don't all another reason we both don't side chain uh you know bass guitar to kick is because well to your point you're like i will specifically if the guy's not on the one but when they are on the one in some way like that's awesome man that's what you want you know for sure for sure Uh, yeah, what actually I was thinking about just in talking about all this, I started thinking, you know, one interesting thing too that in live sound, aside from what we're dealing with in the room, is you might have particular mandates placed on you from the band. Right. You know what I mean? With regards to, and we'll just say low end in general, but bass guitar, where that, you know, you hear, you famously certain bands, oh, they don't like any low end on stage. If you go to their show, you are not going to hear the kick drum, <clears throat> you're not going to hear the bass. Or you get one or the other or something like that. Like that's a whole other thing that we have to contend with. Um, Have you had, have you had some of that?
0: Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I, (laughs) I work for those bands.
1: Those are the bands. Yeah. You're like, what are you talking about? dude?
0: No, (laughs) no, no. no. I just mean, you know, like, um, so any band that started in the seventies, um, is, doesn't want to feel any sub information. Uh, So, you know, I worked for Kiss and I worked for Iron Maiden and both of those bands started in the 70s and both of them don't want to feel sub information when they start. They'll even when they start saying the word sub, they're talking, really talking about one hundred and fifty and above.
1: Right, right, right. right. They'll say,
0: oh, there's too much sub, you know, and it's like, no, you're not talking about sub. You're talking about one hundred and fifty and above, you know. uh Um, So. Here's the thing. Um, with modern speaker systems, stuff has to be balanced. There has to be sub-information. There has to be in your mix the feeling of those low-end frequencies in order to balance out all of your you know two, 1K, 2K, 3K mm-hmm. stuff. That information has to be there. I don't know if you've ever taken a mix of, and just high-pass the mix all the way up to 200, Mm. everything gets abrasive and nasty. It's so aggressive. Aggressive and, oh, my God. Um, So that's just not possible, number one. And number two, what they don't realize, those bands don't realize, is that their records have that information. Like, you know, I know that they don't want to feel it, Per se, mm-hmm. but that information exists in their
1: records um, and you're performing, you are at such a place to what you're saying, like there's so much power in life power power for it to be balanced you're not even trying to have a big sub show you're no. just trying to keep it in check you're, you're trying to
0: um, yeah keep keep it in check or trying to um, or sorry,
1: keep it spectrally balanced, I should say yeah, yeah.
0: balanced, I think so um. You know, I find with those kind of bands, you know, like Kiss, there wasn't really an instrument up there that was making <laughs> that information. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like even the kick drum, uh, Peter Chris's kick drum, like didn't have a whole lot of 60 in it. It was way more centered higher, like, you know, mm-hmm. 100 or 150 was the mm-hmm. center of his kick drum. Um, and Gene's bass guitar was like you know uh, mostly distorted, growly kind of shit, and nothing like below a hundred. So that mm-hmm. information didn't doesn't exist coming off the stage, and so you you then have to manufacture it because it has to be there. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, in several cases with these bands, I have. Um, you know, used low air or, you know, one of those R base or whatever to manufacture things. Now what I have to be careful of is not scooting all that information back on them on the stage. The reason that they are not giving me that information coming from the stage is they don't want to feel it. So Mm -hmm. that's when like speaker deployment comes in king you know where is your sub placement what are you using you know um are you using the tools that you have to keep any of the sub information from going backwards at them you want it all pushing forward uh towards the audience so um those bands are you, you know infinitely long conversations with my system engineer about sub placement and mm-hmm. even so much so that when we show up at festivals We make them move their stuff.
1: Yeah, that's a big Um, one. Festivals can throw your vibe off, because especially now, where festivals is like the one place, unless there's a thrust, and even if there is a thrust, festivals is the one place where sound companies are like, we're building our wall today. Yeah. You know, we're building the wall. And if if they build build the wall. But um, if they (laughs) construct it properly and have it to where it's not coming back, that can actually be the best case scenario. It could be the most cancellation you're going to get. But if it's not, and it's just a mono block of subs, That stage is getting blown up, you know?
0: Like we usually, um, you know, Mike Hackman will get a sound vision file of the festival shit and look at it and see what the prediction of what's happening with the low end and say to them, no, 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 we got to move your big block of subs and split them up and have subs all the way across the front, you know, whatever. Um, Because if we don't do that, they have a bad show. They just don't like feeling it. They don't want it. They don't want it, you know, but but my philosophy as a front of house engineer is it has to be there for the, for to be the there. crowd, right? So right. there's this give and take part of that.
1: Um, you know what that reminds me of? Like whenever a guitar player, let's say it's back in the day, shoot, it could be any day, his rig's too loud. And if it's someone who's really willing to play ball with you, it's like, they're like, okay, man, you just tell me what you need. It's like the degree that I need you to turn it down is nowhere you're ever going to go. And it's kind of the same thing with the subs, even to have just a representation that to everything else is still going to piss them off. Like the degree that you would have to turn it down is basically off, you know,
0: my, my, uh, experience with smashing pumpkins was, uh, a horrible experience it was a theater tour it was <laughs> right. a theater tour and it was two 100 watt marshals okay. with every knob on 12 and and uh, um he just would refuse to do anything about it you know i'm like we're in it's a the most you know,
1: self-destructive thing it is it really is.
0: and and i literally did not have his guitar in any of the mix at all all the guitar was coming off the stage so any tonality anything that was happening was coming from his amp and i was mixing everything else around it and barely getting away with it um yeah yeah that sucks. yeah um good times good times um i mean i know that you work with a lot of bands that want that low end do you find that um there are bands that you've worked with where they want to feel it on stage and you not have to help the monitor engineer to get that Uh, have you had that experience
1: i have uh you know because for me just because i was primarily a rock mixer early on the guys wouldn't complain but they were just like you know, Hey, it's just booming or, but they would ebb and flow with it. So I didn't come from the world of expecting people to want it. So it's almost like when they want it, you just don't have to worry about anything. You know, you can kind of, you can let it go. Um, I have had some kind of curious clients though, where, and I'll just say it like with Bruno, of course he wants it slamming. I mean, he wants it to be, he's an, I'm going to say audiophile, but his hearing is, is of that. Yeah. So he wants it balanced, but he wants it slammed. He does want the club effect. But uh, strangely enough, on stage, he kinda doesn't want too much. Interesting. And uh Interesting. yeah, he, he um before the last tour we did, it was somehow I had negotiated to where I could get a wall of subs. There were gonna be twelve of the what are the Claire CP two eighteens or yeah. the, CP two eighteen. Those guys, those or so twelve of those in a wall is devastating. Yeah. But they were it was gonna be cardioid or it was gonna be um Actually, there wasn't going to – I don't think we were going to do any uh, cardioid-type thing with it, but we were going to steer it appropriately. Yeah. So we're so excited about it, right? Anyway, Tate had made this plexiglass stage, even though it was like three-quarters of plexiglass. <laughs> man, his little butt got up on that thing. It's like <laughs> – Yeah, so, totally. And he's like, yeah, this is not going to work. So we ended up having to cut that down, and in doing that, we kind of have sub-fills on that tour. You know, so that's a thing where the client actually wants it jamming out front, but doesn't want it hitting on stage. You know, but if they don't care, then you're cool. Then you can just let it go. Those are the ones though where you will get the occasional comment of like, is it hitting out there? I feel like it's not hitting out there. I know. You know? Yeah. And then yeah. you're just like, yes, it's hitting. It's definitely, <laughs> definitely hitting out here, pal. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: know. Yeah.
1: Everyone, everyone's feeling it. So, um, I don't know. We said on here before when you get into subs and low end. You know, I mean, I always say the subs are the black art of, of live audio. Bass guitar is not too far behind.
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, yeah, I mean, and and honestly, like I said earlier, it is really all about the source. Um, if you have a guy that has really honed his craft and and uh, in his in the sense of his tone, not just his playing. Um, then uh, you're very lucky uh, because most, I would say, most guitars, even professional uh, bass guitar that I've worked with with a lot of bands, the tone itself uh, is secondary to what the player is thinking about, Um, which is weird to me. It's like, you know, why you spent hours in your room like woodshedding to be a player. Like, why wouldn't you spend a bunch of time worrying about what your tone is, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, and there's some, some that
0: are, you know, some that are, but there's a lot that that aren't.
1: That aren't. Yeah, and people that you guys would be surprised to learn that don't have great tone. Um, and then when you throw in the spectacle aspect, and especially when you throw in movement, you know, we talk about hitting that low B when you're running and it's the furthest one with the lead. Yeah. Do, 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 do. It's easy. Those levels kind of jump all over the place, you know? Yeah, yeah. How so do you – uh,
0: That's an interesting question. How much compression? Because for me, um, the overall compression on a bass guitar is probably way more than I do with any other instrument. Like it is slamming
1: and but one uh, listen to me and and though part of the reason that that is is the things that you and i've talked about before where you can't get away with some heavy compression on a vocal i mean not not too heavy because of the noise floor because it's a direct signal we can get away with it on the bass totally. you know Which, to be honest we'd probably do it some places else too if we could so yeah i will do if it's if there's just one compressor on the bass um or just like one channel, it'll probably be, God, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, it'll pro, It'll be hitting pretty good. Like it'll be, for somebody, as much as I love 3 dB, little wiggles on some things, yep. like on bass, I want that's, that.
0: That's my point is that, you know, so like, You know, I like an 1176 on bass guitar. It's one of my favorite compressors. And the reason that I like that compressor on bass guitar is because the timbre changes when you hit it harder. So it adds more harmonic distortion as you hit it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I find myself... with a vocal with an eleven seventy six, just tickling it like what you talked about, you know, three dB right. stuff. But on a bass guitar, man, I'm into twelve, sixteen, eighteen. I mean, I'm that right, yeah. gain reduction because I mm. like it to get growly when I'm re- when the guy's really digging into it. Um, so yeah, it's a and, and also you know with that much compression, you know when he's playing, it really keeps. Them in check the player in check, you know when they're really digging into it and when they're playing softly You're kind of getting the same kind of levels coming from them. So
1: Yep, I'll say this before we can leave this uh, When it comes to bass if I have all my toys and I can have all my tricks I do a thing where It's okay. You know when we think of parallel compression, of course, everybody immediately thinks of drums and um, That it's you want that you want to retain the dynamics <laughs> Sorry you want to retain the dynamics and you want to either raise the r m s or just have something else exciting sitting underneath it with that squash bus right yep. i 'll do something where my first two channels of bass the first one is like a distressor uh something like that that's not that is kind of chill it has like a a faster attack i mean excuse me a slower attack so the notes can pop through and it's doing a conservative amount let's say like two to four DB of compression on that one then I'll have another channel that's just like demolished um and I use it one way I do that is with this overstayer mas which is a saturation unit but it's also just like a hardcore limiter once you hit it so whereas with drums or most other things you're parallel processing you're relying on the transient enhancing with the squished with bass. I like to do it where I actually a lot of times will lead with the squished Because like you said, you like that really compressed sound. I want that to lead. And on the occasion that, boom, bang, whether it's a slap or a pick needs to come up, it it just gets able to bob up its head enough. So that's kind of, I sort of have this reverse. Ultimately, parallel just means in parallel. It doesn't mean you have to do anything specific with it, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean – it sounds like you're doing parallel compression, but you know, on the input channel side of it, like not busing side of it. Right. Exactly.
1: You know, and right. It, Cause we don't, if I'm just copying the same channel, it's like, it's already, but it's already there. And then right. I do that. So I have this parallel thing that ends up and then there'll be just like a distortion channel to, um, sans amp or whatever. And then those go to the bus. And right. so, yeah. It's, it's exactly what i'm doing but it's funny i kind of lead with the super compressed one and let the other guy just bounce up and down when he needs to
0: totally get it totally get it um do you i know because someone's going to ask uh what how do you manage the latency of all of that or do you yep. worry about it at all
1: i do uh that's why i will copy now again if i have in the rare event it's like a couple di's or when everybody tries to give me pre and post, I'm like, okay, what are these really? Yeah. Because a lot of times, what do they sound like? Yeah. Yes. And a lot of times the post combined with the pre will phase out. uh, If it's like guys just, they they really don't think about their signal flow sometimes. So if I can, that's why I'm just copying that channel. So my thinking is there's my time domain. Everybody's the same. If it's me and on my tours with all the outboard, I'll make a decision. I'll be like, okay, these two channels A and B which is the lightly compressed and the mega compressed they've got to have the same time so they'll both go to outboard Um, And this is where you have to make decisions and then like the third one if I've gotten uh, Compression via outboard analog I'm gonna probably look to do this one in the same time domain if I throw a plug in anywhere That's not subject to that time. It's this guy but even if I line it up, it's never quite right. I don't care. I can put it through everything you want. It still seems weird. So that's how I do it is I try to keep them all in the same time domain. And then on the bus, I can go crazy and put in all kinds of plugins or nothings or hardware. It doesn't matter because at that point, they're summed. So, yeah, I'm definitely mindful of it um, every, every step of the way.
0: Cool. Well, we've kind of uh, gotten towards the end here. Uh, is there any last thing you want to talk about with bass guitar or are you
1: good? No, I mean, we're talking, all of this is applicable to bass instruments, really, you know. Oh,
0: yeah, that's a good point. You know, so uh, what about a keyboard that has to share that space with a bass guitar? Uh, What are kind of, before we finish up here, what's your whole philosophy with, um, you know, really subby Moog kind of low end thing that's being played with a bass guitar? How do you handle that?
1: Most times, the way I handle it is that's often like a keys three kind of thing. That's uh, they, usually it's not unless you have a band where it's like moog and bass guitar all the time, in which case you really need to put some thought into it. Todd, that, that that input is the we talk about. Don't look at my EQ. <laughs> like I'll get that. I love a moog that's got all the harmonic stuff and it's very clear. I hate uh, like a JDX or something that's just like that's just forget it done you're doing that for yourself on stage no one's it's just you're creating garbage but um i'll usually just look for something that sets it apart and jack that and that signal just kind of is what leads it so if my base has been the anchor of the whole show and now that's in there i want it to know that it's in there but i've already established what the anchor is you you know what i'm saying no absolutely
0: it's it's funny i do the same kind of shit but i you know uh I tend to high pass. I'm going to get, but every mu- yeah. musical every musical director <laughs> yeah. that watches this is going to be like, oh, I'm not working with Pooch, man. He's fucking me yeah. over. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, yeah. I tend to take a really low endy subby uh, mm-hmm. keyboard and high pass it up and let the bass guitar take it. But what's funny about that is a. I get a lot a comment. They'll come out and be like, "Oh man, listen to that full low end of that moog. Man, that is so badass!" And I'm like, "It's not the moog; it's the bass guitar." But all right, it is. Cool. You know what I
1: mean? you just they all live together, and that's like when we were yeah. talking about guitars and bass. I man, you get that big, and your guitars sound huge. They sound huge because of the bass guitar filled in that bottom thing totally. you know and you're you're doing the same thing you're giving them whatever they need right from the moog and then but they're really hearing, the <laughs>
0: yeah, but they're really hearing something else yeah uh anyway ah uh, well all right i'm not gonna have a job for a while anyway so maybe uh Dude, musical what, is it, <laughs> it,
1: what does it sound like in might the as well end? show all my
0: cards here you go here, here it you is you now know everything i know
1: that's um
0: but uh all right guys well thanks for coming we sure do appreciate it uh episode 26 is in the books um and uh stay tuned lots of good things to come and uh stay tuned for another episode next week all right thanks guys
1: take care see you everybody